Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wind & Wave Surf Talk. We've got a very special episode lined up for you guys today. Uh, we've got Zane Kakoa Schweitzer on the phone. And Zane, uh, Zane, the timing for this episode is actually really great. Um, the timing of the, of the phone call was a little challenging because Zane, as you'll find out, Zane was actually on Maui, on the road, calling in, on his way to the Aloha Classic event at Hukipa Beach. Um, so that that's just how busy this guy can be. And so trying to schedule this episode was a little bit challenging for both of us, but he was very accommodating. And just want to say uh, thank you very much, Zane, for, for doing everything you, could, you can and could to, to make time for us. So we greatly appreciate that. And most importantly, most currently, um, last night, or depending on you know where you were in the world, last night, Zane won the gold medal in the 2016 Men's Sup Surf Championships in Fiji. And for anybody who is a, a Zane Schweitzer fan, um, obviously you can't imagine that gold medal going to almost anybody else. Um, Zane's had an incredible year this year. Uh, he won the Ultimate Water Challenge uh, in New Zealand. He's won the Master of the Ocean event in the Dominican Republic at least three times now, including this year. He was the runner-up SUP Male Athlete of the Year at the SUP the Mag Awards. And, uh, and as I just mentioned, he's, he has just won the gold medal for the 2016 ISA Men's SUP Surf event in Fiji. Basically, the guy is on fire. Um, we were finally able to get him on the phone in the midst of a very busy schedule to talk about his accomplishments thus far. And, um, and particularly the emerging phenomenon of stand-up foiling, which is one, one topic that we really wanted to cover with him. In true Zane fashion, uh, as I said, he, he's, he was on the move during the call. Um, so we had to, we, we took him away from a little bit of preparation for his Hukipa event in the Aloha Classic to do the call. And again, thank you so much, Zane, for, for accommodating us and, and making that happen. Um, I got to spend some time with Zane and his brother, Matty Schweitzer, uh, during the 2016 Starboard Dealer meeting in San Diego in September. And by now, you've all seen the videos of Zane and Connor, Connor Baxter, riding their foil boards behind windsurfers, party boats, and electric bikes in Mission Bay during that event. But what you may not know is that in between those expression sessions, Zane and Matty were holding some of the first stand-up paddle foiling clinics ever done on a brand new low-speed foil design by Alex Aguera of GoFoil. After watching Zane patiently coach each person up onto the foil, then masterfully demonstrating how a pro-level rider does it, I knew this was the guy to tell us where we are and where we're headed in the crazy new world of foiling. I can't say enough about the humbleness, honor, and respect that Zane exhibits every day as a professional athlete. It's obvious he's a very old soul that's deeply entrenched in the life and tradition of his Maui roots. I was flattered to have him join us on the show, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing what he has to share. Enjoy. Yeah, so just getting uh, just getting on the road here on my way to the American Windsurf Tour event. Um, I'm up in heat number two. They got the women starting in about 30 minutes. So, 
probably got in about 45 minutes to an hour or something. I don't know if that's enough time. That's great, pal. And we really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks. Oh, I'm stoked. Yeah, for sure. Thank, Thank you for reaching out to me for the invite. Hey, of course, man. Of course. So, hey, quick question is, uh, so where are you driving from? Like, where do you live on Maui? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised uh, on Maui and at the moment living at Launi Upoko. We've been up here the last uh, like 17 years. I originally grew up in Kahana over on West Maui. And uh, from Launi Upoko to the North Shore, Ho'okipa is about a 35, 45-minute drive, depending on traffic. Uh, if you've been to Maui before, you know there's one road, one road that goes around the whole island. And usually, if any kind of hiccup happens on the roads, everyone is, is dead stop traffic. So I'm crossing my fingers that everyone's driving smooth, and I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially considering you have a heat coming up, and you're you're on the road now. So thank you, man. That's great. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I just wanted to say congrats for an incredible year so far that obviously you've had this year. Um, starting with the ultimate waterman, uh, that, that contest in New Zealand, winning that thing was, had to be one of the most amazing events for you. And, and what an accomplishment and, and particularly considering obviously the, the well-rounded kind of nature of that event and the fact that you've got to basically be you know, an athlete, a superior athlete in multiple water sports. So I caught, we caught it on the Red Bull channel. We got to kind of see their whole edit on that thing. And just want to say congratulations for doing an amazing job in that event. Oh, thank you so much, Ross. Really appreciate it. So what was that experience like? Can you tell us a little bit about like kind of how that felt and kind of how you felt going into it? Had you done it before? Um, and what was different this year? Yeah. Um, Pretty much, it was it was a, a definitely by far, um, I guess, accomplishment that I hold closest to my heart. Um, with the whole diversity of the event and um, all the different world class athletes that were there, and um, each person being hand selected by by two of my favorite watermen, Laird Hamilton and Titus Kinimaka, you know, it was pretty special to be hand selected by those guys and I actually only got the invite two weeks before the actual start and so I was fully like just unaware of competing and actually a little bit sour to not be in it and um and I was thinking man another year in a second year in a row and I didn't get invited I was all bummed and two weeks before the start I got a call while I was over at Sunset Beach for the Dahui um yeah. Dahui Stackdoor shootout and um I remember getting a call from from GT, the one of the founders and yeah, he told me I'm in and asked if I was ready and I was and I was like I'm born ready for this. Like, my life is um I don't need to be training for it, you know, because it's just it's it's the lifestyle doing one one or the other every day and um so you know, of course, of course, you know, you got to be trained up, but luckily for me, I'm, I never have downtime. I'm always, always, you know, training and competing for surf and stand up and, and windsurf and, and the, all the other things, uh, that all the other divisions that were in that event, like outrigger paddling and swimming and, and breath holding and big wave surfing. Those are all things that I do as, as hobbies or for cross training. So, um, 
lot of lot of great uh, aspects of the sport, and it really was uh, an amazing, just amazingly facilitated as well because we were going from location to location um, uh, around New Zealand, going all over the place. I mean, we got to experience New Zealand like none other, going um, going to all these killer places and some of the places that we want to actually Milford Sound in particular where we compete at the short board surfing event uh, that's it's only accessible with like pretty much a day and a half of hiking and and we got to we got to load up in helicopters with our surfboards on our lap and literally get, get flown to this exotic yeah shortboard and we got flown to this exotic beach just in the middle of this beautiful natural reserve and you know most people don't have the opportunity to get there even people who've lived in in that general area their whole life on the south island and to be able to go there and and experience that with with local boy like daniel Cariopa, you know he's just telling us how fortunate we are to, to see the country you know and that he's he's from a very big family of Maori, uh, from the Maori descent, and and a lot of the places we went, he hasn't even been able to check out, and so uh, it was special for him, and to see how special it was for him, you know, it definitely made us all realize, you know, how how much strings they had to pull to really make make it make it happen the way it did, and I actually just got another call from GT this morning. They're uh, they're planning on they're getting the next year's event going. And um, <laughs> back in it again to defend I would my hope title. So. And, <laughs> oh yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that for sure. Well, it's cool. It's really interesting. Well, a couple of interesting things, right? One is, uh, you know, the fact you got the invite kind of uh, with late notice, and you won the whole thing. That deserves even more kudos than you know having an early invite and going. But so I mean, that's that's incredible. And then. Um, yeah, I mean, to be doing it essentially off the couch, you know, which off the couch for you is probably a lot different than obviously everybody else. But having the very short notice, so you didn't have a lot of time to specifically train for that event, um, sounds like that whole experience was basically just another week in the daily life of Zane Schweitzer. So, <laughs> I no mean, different, no different I said, than being at home. <laughs> The, the fact that it was a 10-day event with eight different competitions ran back-to-back yeah. was uh, was a huge, I guess, factor for the athletes because, you know, we were we were not only competing um, pretty much every day within the 10-day the holding period in different sports, but we were also traveling all together to get to the location. And um, a lot of us, uh, a lot of the competitors were getting pretty tired, you know, from the travel and from the competition and I think that was one of my biggest advantages was just really looking forward to to every day coming ahead and and um, I, I kind of have a high high energy and and uh, yeah and so I I didn't really feel too tired I mean I was I was excited to go on another adventure and to, to get do the next thing and you know sometimes when you do these big events where you have a you know holding period and waiting around it could get kind of boring you know and and this event was very far from boring it was constant action um switching it up between different sports and uh that's that's what i like man i like i like to be diversified and to mix it up and um yeah that's that's why i practice so much sports because i get bored doing one thing (laughs) so that's why you find me 
with a truck filled with toys on pretty much on any day because I, I, I'm ready for whatever the ocean throws at me. <laughs> well, then that's one of the benefits of living on Maui, I think, right, is that Maui specifically just gives you the opportunity to do so many different things because it's got just such a diversity of ocean conditions on every shore. And you've got wind, you've got surf, you've got all kinds of different things. And, you know, for guys like you, it's just, it's got to be like solving a puzzle every day, trying to figure out what you're going to do based on the conditions. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you gotta, uh, yeah, we want to get barreled every day, <laughs> but <laughs> that's probably like, one. might not be able to get barreled every day. So yeah, that's why we like gotta, gotta be prepared for, for what, what, you know, what the mother nature throws at us, whether it's the wind or whether it's waves or, whether it's putting food on the table, going diving, and stretching out the lungs for the next big swell coming, you know, it's uh, it's always something. Well, then, um, so then you won the Master uh, Masters of the Ocean um, event in Cabarete, right in the Dominican, which you've won yeah multiple times now, and so. Being on the East Coast, the Caribbean is a little bit closer and more accessible to us. So we we get the opportunity to spend a little bit of time down there. And we go down to Cabaret specifically um, at least, you know, once a winter. So it was, it was And you're really, a pretty avid kite surfer too, yeah, Russ? Uh, yeah, I like to go out and kite whenever I can, absolutely. And the Caribbean, let me tell you, the Caribbean was made for kite surfing. The oh, Caribbean yeah. That's has, like the killer zone. Yeah, I mean, you've got everything. You've got waves, you've got flat water, and you've got flat water that is contained in these large lagoons contained by an outer reef, you know, so you can have, you can have waves, you can have flat water, whatever you want, and the wind just rips, you know, similar to Hawaii. Oh, yeah. There's a trade wind that obviously just blows east to west across the islands. And on, you know, on normal sort of given days, you've got ideal wind conditions. And, Little towns like Cabaret have like have made uh, a tradition, and they have um, an amazing reputation for wind. And and as such, you know, they become a destination um, earlier for for particularly for windsurfing, right? And then, um, but now, I mean, when we go down there, it's not uncommon on a on a perfect ideal day, it's not uncommon to see about three hundred kites in the in the air. So the the challenge is usually just real, is real estate, you know, trying to find enough room in there, yeah, yeah. not like running on top of each other. But you know, we we've been going down there for a lot of years now, and so it was really exciting to see your name on the top of the board and the top of the list for Master of the Ocean. And um, and so we 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 sort of heard about the event before I think we, we even knew your name, and it was just exciting to hear about you know this this guy from Maui who was coming over, spending that kind of time to come over to this event and then crushing the whole thing in this multidiscipline sport. Um, but so I was always curious to know, like, how did you, what is it that draws you to go over there year after year and, and kind of how did you hear about this event and, and kind of what well, yeah, gets you going I, back I every year? It's definitely one of my favorite events that I part in every year. Um, up there with the Ultimate Waterman, and it's because, uh, once again, it's diverse, it's fun, it uh, mixes it up between four different ocean sports, and, um, I, you know, I think I've been doing so much stand-up paddle stuff uh, in the last four or five years um, that, you know, when I got first got the invite to compete at the Master of the Ocean, like, three and a half years ago, um, I was so stoked because... It was a chance for me to get out and compete windsurfing again, but also uh, be able to uh, 
pick up my abilities and skill level kite surfing and learn from all those guys and one of the I guess more world recognized places for kite surfing and then um of course be able to to compete and and have fun with my original love in the ocean and shortboards that's shortboard surfing and of course they also had stand up paddle surf so it was a uh, it was a great time to I guess have fun and and you know practice my passions on the water from windsurf to kite surf and sup surf and shortboard and um I've been going back every year since and I had a uh, the, the blessing of I guess getting my third consecutive win this year and um I'm really looking forward to get back there next year and I think one of the biggest things that I've been focusing on for, for that event in particular is uh the kite surfing bit of it because man the kiters out there are next yeah. level and yeah. um I I I'm probably out of those four sports kite surfing is my least um not least but I guess I can't dabble as much in kiting as I can in the other sports of the Master of the Ocean. So um, I feel like coming into that event, I try and get a little extra time kiting and, uh, you know, try (laughs) try and be able to get a a good overall result because uh, at the end of the day, that event is uh, best out of, um, you know, three three out of four. So um, to be able to get a good result in kiting really helps. You know, but the last two years, my first year, I actually got, I think, third to last in kiting, and, but I won the other three, shortboard, subsurf, huh. and winter. Right. And so I was able to, I guess, kick one out of the door because I had three that works. And, um, and so, the, and the following year as well, um, I, I won the, the three, the, the windsurf, sub, and the, and the shortboard. Wow. But, I, and I, and I did much better in the kite. And now this year, I placed third in the kite. Wow! And so every, every year, I've been I've been picking up my my ability for kite surfing. And I guess that's one of the biggest uh, biggest goals of this event is to be able to bring people from around the world and uh, all learn from each other. And uh, that really is what's happening because when I went that when I went there my first year, um, uh, I mean. End up surfing was fair. When I first arrived the Cabrera Day for the Master of the Ocean three years ago, sand paddle surfing was very quiet. There wasn't much people paddling. This last time I went, I mean, those guys are ripping now. Just two yeah. years later, from not having any board to now having a few of my boards that I've left there over the years and a few other boards that they're pulling in from around and you know they're they're ripping they have the they have the conditions they have uh, the the uh, people to learn from because of this event the master of the ocean and uh, it goes the same for me with kite surf because I get to go over there and then learn from these guys and so it's a it's a really cool event and um it's so fun to be able to mix it in you know, all the different sports and everyone shines in one or the other so right, it's right. always it's always um there's always someone new to learn from you know yeah and but the thing i like about both these events is it really it's it's they're designed for sort of this this overall sort of well-rounded water sport athlete and and they're diverse events and that that's what makes it really kind of fun because it's i mean it's one thing to kind of specialize in one particular sport and you know huge 
huge credit and kudos goes out to the people who are who are at the top of each of these individual sports. Um, I think it's just it's just interesting to see sort of who can. I mean, it really shows athleticism to see who can cross over and compete at a high level in more than one sport, and that's where I feel that there's fewer and fewer people who can really do that effectively. And so it's nice to see that there's some events that really kind of let those athletes show off the different things that they can do. You know, like guys like Kyle Lenny and Chuck Patterson and guys like yourself and Connor Baxter. I mean, you guys are, it doesn't really matter what's going on on the water weather-wise. It's just you guys can pick up basically any gear that's lying on the beach and go out and perform at the highest level in the world, which is really cool. Right. Uh, thanks, Russ. Yeah, I mean, hanging out with, uh, we get to hang with a lot of guys like that here on Maui. We got so many diverse athletes that are uh, talented in multiple areas of the, of the sports and the, and the ocean. And I think that's why we have so many, um, so many great world-class watermen coming out of Maui is because we have so many great mentors to look up to and a lot of good, uh, people in our community to kind of, um, follow after. And, you know, that's one of the, one of the biggest things in any community, I think, is, uh, you know, kids get into trouble because they're bored and they do drugs. And, um, it's, it's, I don't know, if you're into sports, if you're into a healthy, active lifestyle, there's no excuse to get bored on Maui. It's, uh, we have all the, the, the best conditions. The fact is that in water sport, we have the best athletes in the world representing each area of the sports. And um, any given day, you go to the beach, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're probably going to see one of those guys training and putting in their time and and uh, connecting with nature, most importantly, because I think a lot of us, um, a lot of the guys that, uh, that you might hear of as, as watermen, you know, they're not just doing it for competitive results and to better themselves, but they're doing it because they have to. It's because nature is so much a part of our life that it's the only way for us to ground ourselves. It's the only way for us to connect and, uh, I guess, realign our, ourselves to, to get ready for the chaos of the day. Because, yeah, we, we all probably have our own jobs and everyone has their families and whatever kind of stress is going on in life and um, the ocean's always there for, uh, you know, for your refuge and for for your own peace of mind and to kind of ground yourself and I think that's why most, most watermen are so well connected to nature and spiritually. You know, I don't think anybody gets out of the water and really questions the time that they spent. I think that for a lot of people, they, everyone feels so much better after they get in the water. They exercise, you know, they're immersed in salt water, fresh water, whatever it may be. And when they're done with all that, they just have this great, you know, euphoric feeling of being able to exercise, be healthy, stay fit, be in touch with nature. I mean, that's one of the things that's just so, this is so powerful about particularly these human powered sports, you know, like whether you're powered by wind or by paddling, you know, with your hands or with a physical paddle. Um, all of it just translates so well into such a great positive energy feeling for anybody who spends time in the water. Doesn't matter whether you're getting a good, good wave or not, you know, it's always good to get wet. There's never a bad day. So hey, one other another, another question we wanted to ask you about was there's a first of all, um, you you and Maddie did an amazing job hosting some really 
some uh, very viral uh, videos that went around, like Instagram and social media and so on, from our time in San Diego, which is really cool, of you on the foil with Connor and so on. And then most recently we saw a video of Laird riding your foil board the other day. And so we were, we were very curious to hear just kind of um, how that whole event transpired and, and um, you know, how, how you got Laird on there and, and what really excited him about trying out your foil. Oh, I, I am uh, unaware of Laird riding the, uh, the go foil. Um, I, I know that Laird has been hydrofoiling, um, you know, pretty avidly for a lot of years, um, even back when they're toe surfing jaws. And, um, but I've never had the chance to, to foil board myself with, uh, with Laird. Um, but I'm sure he's gotten his hands on one of the new foils that we've been working with, uh, with Alex Aguera on, the Go Foil with Starboard. Um, yeah, they're right now they're definitely the best the best foils around for, I guess, most speed high lift, which I guess directly translates to being able to paddle into a wave, you know, and only using your own uh, paddle power to have enough lift to get into a wave and be flying, you know, and get rid of the necessity of, of having a boat or a jet ski. Yeah, um, no. so I think we saw this video on Alex Aguera's website, so... I don't know. We're, we're going to go back and f- confirm that. But he was on a hypernut, and I presumed it was yours. And he was. Um, uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to go check that out. I'm going to check it out later. Yeah, yeah. So we were just curious because I, I presume it looks so similar, obviously, to the, one of the boards that you had in San Diego. I was like, oh, I thought for sure that was probably yours. But I do, I do want to yeah, talk. I, I do want to talk about Alex and his foil. Um, and, and just to start, like. There's uh, there's obviously been a lot of conversation about foiling, whether it's kite foiling or foiling with on a windsurfer, or you know, st- uh, st- or toe-in foiling, um, the way Laird Hamilton's been doing for a long time. But how can you tell us a little bit about how how Alex Aguera kind of got into this space of stand-up foiling and what makes his foil so unique? Alex Aguera is an artist, and uh, he's, he's been designing foil, and shaping foils uh, for years in the kite surf world. And um, he has some of the fastest foils for kite racing. And um, recently, kind of has transitioned his, uh, his knowledge um, and, I guess, interest from kiting to stand-up. And uh, I guess, you know, his idea at first was, was creating a foil that you could do a downwinder on and, uh, and foil, you know, inner island for, for a long time, riding open ocean swell. And, uh, you know, uh, shortly after he kind of started to develop and come up with the first ones, he reached out to Hi Lenny, Connor Baxter and I to help start testing them and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's history from there. I mean, we've been having so much fun riding these foils and being able to be a part of the program with Alex has been amazing as well because we get to go out and, and test all these different, um, what, what's working good, what's working, what's not working good, what boards they work best on and the position and the angle. And, yeah, I've learned so much about foiling since, since recently teaming up with Alex Aguera. And um, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to say the least. 
And so do you think, is there, um, do you think, what do you think is the opportunity with stand-up boiling? Do you think this is something that will get popular with lots of different people? Do you think because of the, the low speed nature of this particular foil, um, you think, you think downwinding is the most sort of will be the most common use or do you think that it'll be more popular? I really hope so. I really hope so. Um, I don't, I don't want to see too many people in the surf with it. Right. Um, it's just, it's just too dangerous. Um, just not, not, not so much for yourself, but kind of for other people. Um, I think it's made for open ocean. These things are, I mean, what's the, what's the worst thing about surfing, right? Is when the wave finishes, it's like, right, you don't have the wave to finish. That's why these things are great because you could be surfing open ocean and just riding continuously. I mean, I took the hydrofoil out the Columbia River Gorge on a river, middle of Oregon, and freaking was surfing, flying uh, for 25 minutes on one ride. Wow. And I mean, to me, that's surfing. I don't care what what you what you call surfing. I mean, we're riding the the energy of the water and and going rail to rail. Or I guess you could say edge to edge on a on the spoil, and um, just the, the amount of acceleration and and efficiency, and just it's it's an amazing feeling. Um, I definitely see the downwind being more uh, the open ocean and downwind getting more popular because it's it's our it's our own playground, you know. And how many surf spots do you know of that are just maxed out already? Right. And this opens up this opens up a whole new world of, of surfing locations. And I, I see surfers getting into hydrofoiling so they could get away from people and surf. Yeah. And you know, I I see that being the biggest direction of foiling is, is for the guys who want a little bit of privacy, who want a little bit more of a intimate connection to nature and, and not have to worry about all the ego and all the other people and then whatever they're dealing with, you know. And, and uh, yeah, so I've been having the most fun downwind for sure. Um, I've also had a lot of fun in the surf. Um, unfortunately, I, I tried to make an educational video um, during our trip in California, and um, it, it went viral, but they didn't include <laughs> the education. They, they did not include educational message. So um, that was kind of a big bummer because it made uh, it made it look really dangerous and really right. kind of scary for a lot of surfers. But uh, the one I'm talking about is a video of uh, me in California surfing Gain a Point during the hydrofoil expression session of the Pacific Paddle Games. And you know, uh, in this video, on the original video, uh, I included you know a lot of information on foiling, where to do it, where not to do it how to safely practice it, um, and, you know, the places that are not acceptable to even think about taking a board and a foil, um, but it got reposted and reshared uh, countless times and without the, the message, right. um, it kind of made, I don't know, I guess, you know, any, any publicity is good publicity, some people say, but at the same time, <laughs> that was not the reason why. That's not the reason why I put that video out. I put it out to educate people and to help them get a better understanding of, um, of, of what this sport is about. And um, 
want to make sure that people are practicing it as safely as possible. Yeah, well, I agree. And I, I saw your original post and I saw like the all caps message behind that post and it clearly said, Hey, this was during the expression session of the Pacific paddle games. And that's the only other reason why you see so many other people in the water. And, you know, I obviously advocating that this should only be done in uncrowded areas, not in crowded surf lineups and so on because of the, the dangerous nature of, of the foil, obviously. And, and I think you're right. I think that. You know, when, when there's new equipment like this, it's a great opportunity for people to get some space between one another. There's no reason to bring something like this into a crowded lineup anyway. You know, what, what surfers really want is they want open space. They want either more surf breaks or fewer surfers. And if you can't have either of those things, then, then the only option is what you're proposing, which is get out into the open ocean, into downwinders, and start finding some room out there. So we, we started playing around with that. You know, we're, we're in Burlington, Vermont on Lake Champlain. And so every now and then we get some pretty decent high winds, particularly in the fall. So we've been playing around with the gofoil and, and literally just yesterday, I finally got a chance to do a little bit of downwinding. And we're really trying to get the, we're really trying to understand like what the equipment setup should look like. So obviously we've got Alex's foil. Um, but so when you were in the Columbia River, what were you riding? Were you riding your hypernut or something bigger? Yeah, for Columbia River and most of my downwind hydrofoil uh, sessions, I've been riding the 6'9 by 23 hypernut. And uh, it's a really small board, as you can tell, uh, just by the numbers. I mean, 23 is pretty narrow for a sub board. 6'9 is about as short as they get. Yeah. Three, three, inches, three inches thick. Too. So it's uh, it's small all around, but with the foil, you have added volume and uh, added stability. Um, it's like having a big keel under you, so you got a lot of um, a lot more, I guess, rail to rail stability, um, allowing you to get on a smaller board. And the reason I've decided to go on the smallest board possible that's available at Starboard is because. Um, I can stand on it comfortably, number one. You don't want to be on something you're not comfortable on. But number two is uh, it really maximizes the, uh, the I guess, efficiency and the performance that you can have uh, hydrofoiling. On uh, a big board, you can't pump as much as you'd like to. You can't maneuver. Just think of the foil as, as, a, as a lever scale. You know, you can't. It, all of the weight needs to be right over that foil. And so the more board around the foil, the harder it's going to be to get going. Um, and the best possible way to learn, I think, is by understanding the foil and, and minimizing all the other aspects, including weight around the weight around the foil, which is your board. And so I like to say get on a small board and, and dial in your foil. Do it behind a jet ski or behind a boat so you don't have to think about the waves and, and your line. Just... Attach a rope to a jet ski or a boat, get nice, flat, clean water, have it on a nice, small board, and um, and just get a feel for the foil. It's a very, it's not something you're just going to pick up right away, okay? I've seen guys pick it up right away. Um, I'm not saying it can't be picked up right away, but um, uh, try to relate it to learning how to kite surf or wind surf, you know? You're going to have to be a little patient and, uh, and resilient to understand the dynamics of it. And um, once you do, it, it'll all click. Once you get that little, the simple uh, balance 
And um, I think the biggest thing to think about is timing and positioning. You know, you want to be able to make sure to step back into that that optimal position, um, depending on your weight and the size you board and um, and whatnot. But um, you know, try and try and uh, make a mark on your board where you feel is maybe a good place to stand. I, I like to have my back foot um, right over the foil, um, or even just a little bit, kind of. Um, you know, it all depends on your speed, really. But low speed, when you're learning, you know, it's better to have your foot kind of on the back half of the foil. As you start to go faster, you can bring your back foot on the front half of the foil, uh, the insert. It's definitely something different, and it's definitely something very touchy and sensitive. So you really want to minimize all of your uh, all of your movement, and um, you never want to try and um, recover from a mistake. Uh, you never want to kind of, you never want to uh, counterbalance because you're you're falling one way up to the other. If you, as soon as you start to lose balance or lose control, just shift your hips over your front foot and uh, and bring the board back down down to the surface of the water. And so the reason I say shift your hips to your front foot is because we want our chest and our hips over our feet, over our knees, over that foil. We don't want to be bending our chest low, sticking our butt out. We want to keep our knees over our hips, over our knees, over that foil. And just uh, the simple movement of adjusting your weight distribution, your, your hips from your front foot to your back foot, is kind of the only movement you want to be playing with. Right. You want to minimize your movement east to south. And uh, I guess, really, I guess you don't want any movement north to south or east to west. And you want to minimize your movement north to south. And right. um, just really be slow and smooth and uh, um, because it, it really does, uh, small adjustments and movements will make a big difference. So, Zane, if you're on, if you're doing like a Maliko run with Connor, are you on the same board? Are you on your 6'9"? And, and before you answer yeah. that, is there, a, wow, okay. And then, so is there any application anymore for for guys to be putting a foil on race boards for downwinding? I, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think it's uh, I don't think we need that much board. Wow. You don't. You just, just you just don't need that much board. It just makes it harder. It makes it harder for you to um, get used to it and it makes it harder for an already uh, advanced foiler to to move it around. If I jumped on a big race board at twelve foot six with a foil I wouldn't be able to do nearly the, the rise or the efficient glide that I do with my 6.9. It's just because if you think about it, you have a lot more room to pump up and down with a shorter board. Whereas right. if you're on a long board, as soon as you start to point up up to the sky, your tail's in the water. And as soon as you want to point it down and ride the, the foil on that downward kind of uh, decline, the nose is going to hit the water a lot sooner. And so with a shorter board, you can have a lot more a lot more uh, lift and really maximize the length of the mass of the foil. So, um, yeah, I, I've been I've been uh, going more towards the shorter boards for sure. How about in, like, lighter winds? So let's say, because, I mean, Columbia River Gorge, uh, Maliko, high wind areas. I went, I went out on, um, on the higher foil recently in Tahiti on something that I wouldn't even call a downwinder. Um, <laughs> I, I would call... I would call it, it was zero wind, no wind at all, and um, 
there was just some rolling swell that was kind of coming from the outside of the lagoon. And uh, they were really close together, kind of just like surging swell. And um, I, I mean, I had to work my ass off getting into it, a really hard sprint. But once it was up, I was able to keep it up longer than I would have with a race board. I might have been able to get into it with a little less effort, right. but there's, I wouldn't have been able to maximize my, my time, I guess, above the water flying. Right. Um, so I've been, I've been really enjoying the shorter board because you could almost do what I like to call an ollie or a force lift. And uh, it's almost like the motion a skateboarder would be doing when he practices an ollie. Right. You know, you could you could you could force the foil to get up to a lift way under that minimum speed. And by doing the motion of like an ollie, like a quick little pop with your back foot, getting that nose up and then immediately flattening out, getting that board to flatten out once the board gets off the water, then you could start to work it, pump. And, and, and keep it going and get to that optimal speed. So you could actually get it up before the minimum speed that's required if you could do do a good force lift or, a, or an ollie. Right. So obviously you, you've got to be like in a surf stance and paddling in a surf stance the whole time. In foot position, and you were talking about having your back foot over the foil and your front foot obviously has to be right over the stringer. Yeah, you want both feet completely over the stringer. You want to be very center uh, along the board. Now, a lot of stand-up paddle boards don't have a stringer. Right. So a stringer would, would mark the complete center of a board from nose to tail. So um, you want to just imagine that complete center line from the nose to the tail, and that's where you want both feet. And then um, from there, you kind of just uh, want to have uh, in mind that weight distribution from your, your front foot to your back foot, you know, shifting your hips forward and backwards slightly to control that, that um, I guess, lift and, and fall of the, of the board to the surface of the water. Okay. Okay, so, hey, I, so there's another question I want to ask you, and I know you have to go pretty soon, but the other, the other question is about um, windsurfing. So obviously you obviously you love to do a lot of windsurfing. So on a given day, I'm just trying to picture a day in Zane's life, right? So I wake up, I'm on Maui, I'm at home, it's windy. What do you do? Do you are you, are you downwind foiling because you're so in love with that right now and it's something you're still progressing with and learning new stuff every day? Or, I mean, do you still have the fever of windsurfing where anytime it's windy, you just want to go out and sail? Um, it all depends. I've been doing so much foiling lately that I just want to windsurf. Um, I've been, I've been hydrofoiling a lot lately. Um, and so, yeah, once again, I get bored really easily. So, um, I like to mix it up and I'm already feeling like I want to get back on the water foiling after a few days of windsurfing. It's been super windy here the last few days. Um, but it's also kind of uh, that time of the year where I have a few winter events coming up. So, of course, I want to train for that. And uh, But at this point, I'm not even going to make my heat because it's dead stop traffic. Oh, no. I'm all, if there was no traffic, I'd be five, ten minutes away. No. Dead stop traffic. Uh, oh, no. I'm not moving at all. And uh, my heat's up in... 15, 20 minutes. Oh, oh no. 
It's, and it wasn't even a car accident, too. It's just road work. So, just shows Maui County's got to get their crap together and cap off the number of tourists they allow onto the island because <laughs> it's just real. It's, it's just way too much people on the island at any given moment, and the roads and infrastructure cannot handle it. And uh, but back to back to your topic, um, you know, I always try to do what's best, uh, what what nature wants me to do. And if it's windy, if there's waves and it's windy, I'll probably want to go windsurf. If it's flat and it's windy, then maybe kite surf or or hydrofoil. Um, so if it's if it's smoke and wind and it's flat, then probably probably foil because I don't like to kite in a really windy condition. I, I kind of like to kite in uh I like to kite surf in um when it's not enough wind to wind surf but just enough wind to mess up the surf. So that's kind of my my window to kite. Uh when it messes up the surf enough but not enough wind to make it a good wind surf day. And that's my time to kite. And um if it's like super windy and it's flat, that's my time to foil. Because um you know, that's that's when that's the best day for it. <laughs> Yeah, how about how about when I, say, when I say flat? When I say flat, I don't mean I don't mean actually flat. I mean <laughs> oh, waves, 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 waves breaking along the reef uh, are, are minimal, but the wind that is pushing the water in the open ocean about a mile offshore is generating pretty large swells. Usually, if there's wind, right. so just because there might be waves breaking on shore or on the reef. Right. Uh, there, there still very well could be a lot of potential for ground for ocean swell uh, just from the wind. Yeah, no, I've seen that before. I mean, you've got waves that are basically running east-west, right? If you're doing like if you're on a Maliko run, there's huge waves running east-west with the wind that may not be actually crashing on shore. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, it's such a pleasure to be able to talk to you. I'm, I'm sorry, it's it's, it's uh, been kind of hard to line up a time. Um, had a lot of family in town with a, you know, a wedding and a funeral and a baby shower and, you know, whenever I'm home, I'm always trying to catch up with friends and family and, of course, of course keep up with training. But uh, we got a really big, exciting event coming up uh, next week. Uh, Team Hawaii, we all leave on the seventh to DD. That's great. The ISA World Championships. Awesome. And um, we're really, yeah, we're really looking forward to that because, uh, you know, as a lot of people might have. Heard Santa Piling is in the Olympics for 2020. Awesome. And um, so this is the qualification. So this year and the next three years are going to be very important for uh, for the guys that are looking to, I guess, represent their nations and countries in the Olympics. For so um, yeah, Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to uh, to get out there. If that cloud breaks, I don't know if you guys have heard of that way, but uh, yeah, one of the best one of the best laughs in the world. Um, when it comes to surfing, and so I'm just completely uh, very grateful and excited to have a, a a good wave to go and compete at. You know, it, it gets it gets pretty hard to compete when uh, in crappy conditions. Yeah. Um, and it, and usually, you know, when you have when you have a competition, it's it's in crappy conditions. Yeah, so and that's not fun. You know, then it starts to become more of a. a tactical battle of uh you know i guess trying to get in your competitive head and and be in the right position for the wave but uh when you have when you when you minimize those aspects and just have to think about your own surfing and and catching a wave 
when you have consistent waves coming in one after another, it uh, it makes it more of a fair competition because then it's not one athlete cattle battling the other. It's uh, it it comes more to you know how are you going to surf that wave and how's your competitor going to surf his and hopefully the the waves are coming in pretty consistent where the judges can score uh, keep a good uh, keep a good base. But man, when we do events at Huntington or places that are beach break, inconsistent um, waves and and inconsistent shape and form of each wave that comes in, it becomes really hard. It becomes more of a, a luck game. Um, yeah, so it's about heat draws and about when your heat falls within sort of the swell window. And yeah, I mean, we've we've seen them on live streams. And in fact, two episodes ago, we interviewed Kevin's buddy uh, Brian Reardon, who was the guy who who provided the live stream of that epic Fiji swell for the WCT, where it got so big they actually had to postpone the contest during the event. And then all the big wave surfer guys were like, were there on site in the channel and they jumped out of the channel, paddled out into the lineup and Brian and his crew kept their cameras rolling and they were able to capture some of the most epic cloud break surfing I think we've ever seen. So. Oh yeah. That was, that was some of my favorite, some of my, uh, I guess, favorite times watching a surfing event as well. Yeah, I mean that was just historic cloud break and it was it was just very opportunistic that they actually had a camera crew on the platform who were who were contracted to basically re- to provide the live stream for the CT event. So it was just awesome that those guys were able to keep cameras rolling and capture all that stuff. So, yeah, congratulations on on the ISA and and good luck in Fiji and and go team Hawaii. Hope you guys get uh, yeah. get some waves for that, and we're we're definitely looking forward to like tuning in and seeing how it goes. Um, and thanks, Shane. I really I know I know it's a little bit of work to schedule this, but again, I really appreciate you taking the time, and and hopefully we can uh, connect again at some point in the future and in the not too distant future. But um, yeah, have a great trip. Good luck to you, and and uh, keep keep plugging away down the road there, and hopefully. The heats are running a little bit late because we're going to dial into the live feed right now for the Aloha Classic, and we're hoping to catch you in your heat. All right, mahalo, Russ. And, yeah, let's cross our fingers for a big, huge swell to come to cloud break, and we could get a little big wave surfing expression session in as well. Yeah, but, well, um, we're yeah. looking forward to seeing you over there, man. A lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, on your podcast today, Russ. And, yeah, for sure. Let's do it again. All right. Sounds good. Mahalo, pal. All right. Aloha.